welcome to it, man. <laughs> it's one of those tougher recap shows to do because as as a true goon, I went into that game thinking, you know what, we got a shot at, at getting these lot and watching the game. It was actually a different type of game to watch. First and foremost, shout out to you if you're listening to the show. It's when Habri was home, the Arsenal fan show from a Mzanti fan point of view. Please uh, like and subscribe, share, you know, do the things that make the parts. Um, yeah, man, back to that. It was a, it was a very intriguing game to watch, no lie. It was, <laughs> it was one of the games where I felt we always had a chance if we were willing to maybe go in a bit more and risk it. And that's where we fell short. You know, it felt like one of the the final lessons from Mr. Miyagi, you know. <laughs> like, Mikael went through the wax on, wax off stage. This felt more like the crane kick, you know what I'm saying? Like, this was this was different in that regard because of how Pep approached the game more than anything. Credit to Man City for getting the result. And you could see in how the players, especially Raheem, spoke about Arsenal at the end of the game that they truly respected what we are becoming and they were prepared for that in a sense they actually they actually focused on making sure that we could not beat them and that they had a chance to beat us and it's it's, it's really one of the highest compliments you can get from a Pep coach team in the sense that more often than not he's going into the game looking to impose his threats upon you and nullifying your threats is ah, I can score five if your threat is three is cool you know and with us it was a concerted effort to nullify our threats there was a concerted effort to to even change the structure a bit you know and that master stroke in a sense of playing full forward and in that inside left channel and then moving Raheem more into a shadow striker slash ten that was genius. That was genius because, in a sense, it it may have been something that Mikel hadn't thought of that could do wonders for him. <laughs> you know, where you have a guy like Abumayang who is a natural nine and they haven't found ways to play him with a Lacazette who's also a natural nine. Or maybe we'll say with Alba, he's a natural goal scorer. We don't know if he's a natural nine in that sense yet. Yet, if you played him in that quasi-Rahim role, where Rahim was taking starting positions from the left inside channel and then ending it behind Aguero or in, in the pockets behind Aguero. He was able to get the ball in the pocket more consistently. And we were struggling all game to get Albert a ball in that left inside channel because it was the stage where one of the few attacking moves we would have, I would actually focus on watching Alba in relation to our attacking progression, right? And there'll be times when we'll progress the ball very well and it'll be in spite of the position that he's in. And there'll be times when he'll take up great positions and as a result of our structure, we can't pick him out with the pass. So we have to progress the ball to him by playing some diagonal passes and making maybe making a forward run. By the time we do that, City have closed him out already. And that was, in a sense for me, nice to see that he gets that respect Yet in the same breath, it was like, okay, we need to come up with an alternative to this. So, I mean, just to start it off about, you know, the the team as it went into the game, some surprises, at least for me, knowing that if we weren't going to start 
Lacazette, I felt maybe we were going to probably even maybe go to a 4-2-3-1, 4-3-3 type shape, like we had said in the preview. And to see some of the changes that were made, like, I mean, you start Saka, yet if we're going to play a force nine, I would have been comfortable starting Saka further forward and playing Alba in a position where you tell him to be more reserved, I'll play not so much as a out-and-out number nine. And then you can start a Maitland-Niles who gives us a bit more, I feel, in that position. Because with Saka, every time I see him on the field, it's it's a more constant reminder that this kid is a better attacking player than he is a better defender. And he's doing so well to show his defensive ability that when you put him in more advanced positions, I know I'll get an all-rounded player out of him. And I need to start seeing more of that. There was moments in there where you felt like, man, I can see... I can see the moments where young Gareth Bale was playing a left back and you can see, okay, over time it'll trans it'll transition and make him greater. Yet in the same breath as if it was unlocked quicker and sooner, you would have a player that's more developed because then he would know how to play in those positions. You look at a Ryan Sessegnon now where it's like he's seen as a fullback, yet for me he's got so much about his game going forward that if you unlocked him as a third central midfielder, as an out-and-out left-winger when you're trying to play with more directness about your game. As a 10, as an inside right, there's so much more that he offers you, right? So going into the game, I was I was surprised by seeing Willian start as the false nine. Other than that, with the formation he chose, I wasn't too surprised, like we said, the soccer thing. Um, I was pleasantly surprised to see Gabriel start as the, the central of the centre-backs and Luis start next to him. It was it was dope to see because the only other alternative would have been starting holding, which I wouldn't be averse to yet. I feel Luis gives you a bit more when he is being David Luis, right, and playing his best game. So again, it was it was one of those where I felt going into it, if we were gonna have made some change, it should have been master strokes, like something like what Pep did, where right, where you didn't have as much of your old school midfield that he had that was going to be I mean, you had Bernardo Silva drifting in there doing a bit more of what Kevin De Bruyne and what Gundogan could give you yet. It wasn't, it wasn't the same. So they had to rely on that diagonal unlocking the, the, the guys in the, in the attacking third. And in the first half, we didn't have a lot of that as a team, as Arsenal. And it felt like at halftime, a change in Lacazette coming on or a change in Aubameyang going central because there wasn't too much interchange with that. And then bringing on another attacking player could have unlocked us. Even for me, I felt like even pushing Ceballos forward and bringing on Partey at halftime would have helped us a lot. Because in the few, in the in the little time that he did have, Partey did show so much more about his game. And one of the first things I noticed that he hated losing, like even when he was on the bench, he didn't like the fact that the team was down in a game that we should have a chance. We're getting run over in midfield. And it was one of those things where if we look in this game, at this game in isolation, and say this was this was our 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 big, one of our biggest tests like 3-1 loss to Liverpool was a big test this for me was a bigger test because we had gone through that test okay what lessons have we learned from there now we've learned how to keep it tight and and play on the counter yet we haven't mastered the art of creating chances on the counter because I feel we also haven't mastered the art of creating chances in open play as a team even when we're playing a bit more expansively in open right we're still relying so much on individual brilliance that I think Arteta is going to see now as well that Ceballos, Partey, with your Sackers further forward, with your Williams and your Martinelli's 
and your Pepe's with Aubameyang or Lacazette down the middle or even both will give us so much more. And then defensively, you're going to have to look for accountability in players to be able to stand up in positions and, guard and, and mark their men, right? And it's like, I feel it's there because in this game, it was like, I saw him start Kieran Tierney and I thought, okay, if you're going to start Kieran Tierney, I said in the pre-match, we'll start Kieran Tierney as a left-back. As a left-centre-back, knowing everything was going through, you could almost see Kieran maybe just being tired, you know, tired because he's playing in a position where when he's fully locked in, fully focused, he's playing quote-unquote out of position, but in a natural position where he plays left-centre-back, shifts into the left, full-back, left-wing-back channel sometimes, right? Now it was, it was he was playing so much of centre-back that it was taking a toll on Kieran, that he couldn't even do the overlapping. His mind was, he was caught in two minds, and it's just that that doubt maybe I felt, right? Well, you could have alleviated that from him by playing him at left back and say, just go do what you do, you know? Or starting Ainsley then, you know, or starting Saka as a, as, a as a left back, which I thought, I mean, for me, I still wouldn't do that when you have Tierney fit and you have Ainsley Minton and Niles, you still have Suarez. I think Saka shouldn't be playing anymore in those defensive positions unless it's an emergency thing, which is how he ended up there, right? So above all else, I mean, we'll get into the player ratings a bit now, but those final lessons for Mikael, I do pray that he's learning in the sense that you're going to have to be more expansive and more adventurous with your team, with your team structure and the how you set up your team, you know? Like, the City were there to be got at, especially in the sense that I felt they've gone for, for, for bigger players, especially in that Diaz boy at centre-back, right? They've gone for guys where now would be the best time to truly run at City. And we've seen teams get great joy in running at City, even if they run at City on the counter. And we didn't set up to do that. We had some principal William down the middle was to do that yet. If we were going to play a shadow striker, like I said, we could have played a Bumayang. We could have even played Lacazette deeper because when he came on Lacazette, he was actually in the press. You could see that he was playing more as a 10. And then Oba and Pepe on the wings were pressing higher. Then you start to realise, oh... It's possible to do these things, yet it seems as if within the team we need the, the gaffer to sit there and say, you know what, I'm deciding to do this, this is the best thing for us, and we're going to implement the strategy and we're going to get a result. Because as the game wore on, I felt if we make that change at halftime of bring a more natural goal-scoring threat down the middle and, and, and switching Aubameyang down the middle or bringing on a Lacazette, it would have allowed us in the 60th minute to maybe bring, bring off uh, one centre-back pardon me, and, and risk it. So, okay, Tierney maybe will, will take out and then play Saka as a left back, but then in the same breath, throw on an Aiden Ketty and now we have three forwards out there. You know, because I didn't see enough of that where it's a signal of intent, right? Back in the days, you used to see someone like Fergie do it where even in games where it's not maybe likely that you will get the equaliser, you throw the kitchen sink. You know what I'm saying? You're seeing center backs go up in the 70th minute, you know, starting to push forward and stay up after corners. In the 80th minute, you're starting to see goalkeepers risk it for, for corners and start to play on the halfway line. It's something I need to see a bit more in our squad, saying that's a signal of intent because when, when City made that Gundogan change, you could see they were trying to make a more defensive change, yet... He still wanted to have something about it going forward because like, we could still get at these lot because they're not going to really come at us like that. So let's keep more of the ball. If we were starting to take control of the ball in that, in that, in that, in that later off part of the second half where one player I didn't mention having, having 
who should have come on is Thomas Partey, I felt, because when he came on, he looked fit, he looked ready to go. And it's at that stage of the game where, fuck structure, bro, you're going to find a new structure in throwing this player on in this mix. That's one of the things where, as, as an avid football manager fan, that's when you, you, find, you find a formation in a game, right? When you're chasing the game, you realise, oh, this player plays well there in combination with this player, and I never thought I could play this player with that player, and now I can have all three of them on the field. Okay, that's great now. Going forward, I know this is my in case of emergency break glass structure. And I think now we're getting to a place where because we have the personnel, we need to start looking at those things. Where it was a nice game to to watch in relation to the under-23 game where we had some players in that squad that could complement the squad. And they may not be big names to some, yet they could make a big change to our team. Where now I feel a kid like Emil Smith-Rowe, having learned how to maybe be, have more reliability in playing in more central positions deeper, complimented Sabayo so well. Because those times when I saw a move when Sabayos was literally going old school dictate, like if you've ever played deep six, for me it's my, one of my favorite positions, right? If you've ever played in the central midfield, when you get to recycle the ball from like the left channel all the way to the right channel, then bring it central and then play a pass forward. And every single time you're either dictating where the pass should go or where you want to receive the pass. And you, you know, you're literally the orchestra where everybody's just in tune to your symphony. That's one of the most amazing moves because sometimes you will unlock things within your team that weren't always there. Because more often than not, when you have to do that, when you implore to do that is when the structure's not working, when you weren't receiving the ball quickly centrally and you had to move them around a bit more. Or when you would receive the ball centrally, there wouldn't be a pass. Now you want to create openings where you could have three, four, five different passes, right? So Bailos tried one of those in the game where the ball was recycled from the left. He runs across the right. By the time he gets to the right centre-back, David Luiz has changed the play, I think. I think he actually gets to, yeah, gets the right centre-back. It goes to Bellerin. David Luiz gets it back. Instead of playing it back to, to Ceballos, it gets switched. And it's like, OK, yes, it unlocked the team. And I love seeing how Ceballos was so pissed off about how he didn't get to do it. Yet when he, once, The moment he sees the move, like it was literally a momentary, oh shit, y'all didn't give me the ball, you fucking bastards. Then he looks up and he sees the ball is on the halfway line. He starts sprinting. And I'm like, that's the type of midfield we need. Xhaka doesn't offer us that in midfield. And this was the game where I think we finally seen for ourselves that it's going to be Xhaka or Partey. We can't have Xhaka and Partey in the same team. Because what what Xhaka lacks, Partey makes up for. And what we thought maybe Partey could lack and Xhaka would make up for, Partey has already shown signs of that way. Even when it wasn't the pass coming out or the ball wasn't landing, the vision he had when he came onto that field, the feeling he brought when he was on that field. And it's one of those things where one of the other things I picked up in watching the game was like, there was a moment where, where Saka breaks, because he had two chances where I felt Saka should have scored. And Saka playing further forward more consistently with a couple of goals under his belt, a couple of assists, he, he finishes those chances. Left foot, right foot, he was going to finish those chances, right? Um, there was one where on the left foot, I think he has a chance where on the left foot when he smacks, it's just like, he just like, listen, shoelace, dog. Like, <laughs> mbonzi this thing, dog. I ain't even picking a spot. The spot is back of the net type thing. And keeper pulls off a great save, yet Pepe was available with, just outside, just after the penalty spot, you know, central goal. And he could have hit him with a cutback that if Pepe's in tune with it the way he looked like he was, that was going to be a goal for Arsenal. Then they literally collide as the corner, like they, they, they bump into each other as they're moving to go, you know, position for themselves for the corner. And it's as passive as, yo, nothing is said. And for me is where I felt 
that's the those are the two players I'm gonna need to see more fire from. Then I looked around the field, I'm like, when Lacazette's not there, there is nobody in that attacking line that is boosting and spitting fire. Ceballos was the only guy for me who, not just in his performance, but in his demeanor, was saying, let's go get at these lot. Let's go get them. It's not over. Let's go get them. And we need a bit more in that dressing room where, again, I'm going to keep referencing my, my greatness as football manager because it, it allowed me to see the game differently, right? It was one of those small things where they'll tell you the... The, the, the character of your team, right? What type of dressing room do you have based on the personalities you have and the strong personalities and the better players? They'll have an overall aggregate. So you have stuff like perfectionist, determined, very strong world, you know, um, cool, calm, collected, you know, so, so reserved, you know, so unflappable. There'll be so many different characteristics and players, right, that will congregate and amalgamate it to one characteristic. And sometimes you'd have a dressing room that will literally be characterized as jovial when I would get those when I would have the younger teams that I would have a star player who is maybe 23 24 and is a superstar player yet I've built a team around him of other young talent this is like my futuristic team then I would have builds where I would have more you know peak players 23 to 26 players right that are basically I'm building every four-year international cycle. So I started the game like this. I want to build. I'm like, I'm trying to get this group of players into the national team and I want to go to the next World Cup as their coach or whatever the case is, right? Then I would see the character change to like very determined, from determined to very determined. You know, sometimes it'll be ambitious to determined to very determined over the course of a transfer window or two, right? Knowing I'm getting players that bring in a certain desire, a certain championship DNA, if we call it, right? And that's what we're starting to see and we're going to need to see more of within our squad where we were pr probably closer to jovial and fairly or highly ambitious. Now I need a determined, highly determined team because that would have changed the game like yesterday. That would have changed the game like yesterday in regards to that moment that I saw Pepe and Saka collide and there's no, you know what I'm saying, Bum the man them in the chest, say like, man, okay, cool, let's go. I, I took a shot because we need a goal. And you know what? I saw you there and I didn't hit you there, man. I, 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 I'm going to go get another chance for us. Or man them there, I saw you took a shot, but man, I was open there. We need a goal. Give, give, give me a chance, bro. Like, I see you, you know, that level of determination. When David Luiz steps up for that free kick, William's about to go off. And it's easy to talk him out of it. I'm man, like, listen, it's my last, it's my last kick of the game, bro. Like, I shank it. I might not even play start next game or it's VN. I might start and I might not start in the league game. So you know what? Fuck it, bro. Let me take this chance and get my form back. You're still on the field and they might never not sub you, right? That level of determination of, listen, dog, I, I've got it in me. That level of belief, it was lacking in the squad for me. And even after Louis Shanks that free kick and it's like, okay, next one, tell Mandem, nah, not you. And then it's still no determination of, okay, now we got to do something with this, right? A Pierre Emerick saying, you know what, I need a chance, lads. Like, give me the ball in this channel. I'm going to drive at somebody and they're going to foul me and I'm going to get a free kick. I'm going to stand up and take it just so I can get a chance to have a look at goal, right? That changes that changes the dynamic of a game. We used to see TT do things like that. Sanchez, for goodness sake, would do things like that sometimes. Traitors like Van Persie and Sanchez would do that where they'd grab the ball. Thank you, Matala. They'd grab the ball and they would drive forward and they would get a free kick. Even if sometimes they knew they weren't the designated free kick taker, they would stand up and still try to take it, right? And so it'll be a thing where, you know, in, in, relation to, in relation to what the team needs, it's 
we need more determination within the squad and we have the potential to to unlock that in, in additions like someone like a party, someone like a Gabriel for me, where even that check on, I think it was a Bernardo Silva, where it was like, listen, Mandem, like it literally look that play was again like another position I'm familiar with the center back. It was literally a man coming at you and I would do everything within the book of, of within the law of the of the of the book, within the letter of the law rather, and then I will I will I will go a little bit extra and a little bit extra you can't call me on just to stand my ground where he had picked the position where like I've beaten you out of position with Bernardo. Now if you try to go around me, it's gonna be a situation. If you try to come through me, it's gonna be worse for you. So Bernardo chose to try maybe come through you know Gabriel and Gabriel's like mind them not having that. Grab you aside, like not even a shoulder, bro. Mandem gave him a lateral side of his of his back, bro, and Mandem collapsed. I'm like, that's what I want to see. I want to see some fortitude, some intestinal fortitude, some cojones, bro. Like some some gumption and some desire to to get something out the game, and at the very least to assert our dominance. Like y'all aren't gonna keep getting the better of us. Y'all had possession, eighty six percent. Fuck this shit, bro. Like nah, you know what I'm saying, like. Just something, some, some principles to stand on. It's very nice to see within the squad. And that's one of the, the takeaways as well for me in the game that Mikel's going to need to have a plan when we don't have possession of the ball. Because, yes, it may, not be, it may not be as often. Yet we're going to need a plan for when we don't have possession of the ball because that allows us to have more plans when we do have constant possession of the ball in games that we, we, we're comfortable playing longer. We're comfortable stretching the play with diagonal passes. We're comfortable being more aggressive with our runs, you know, and breaking the, the, the defensive lines with our movement instead of waiting for the ball to make the work. So it's there. The makings of the makings of a great team are there for me. It was one of those lessons that we needed to learn. And for Mikel, one of the final lessons from Mr. Miyagi, like Mandem, like you got a result against me last season, and I'm gonna come to smack Monday. And it was a decent smacking, cause you know, one uh, my one my one regret about the goal, or maybe there's two. Well, David Luiz, I felt was a bit caught out of positioning in that in that in that in that case there, where if it was a thing when Gabriel was playing covered defender, he would have dealt with that situation differently if David Luiz breaks out the line, and Leno as a shot stopper is amazing, yet part A of stopping shot is stopping the shot from going in the net. Part B is keeping hold of the ball, matching. Because you parry that ball into a dangerous zone where there is the, the whole conversation of this, like it comes, it comes and we don't always have this as football fans, but it's what it is. Like the continental goalkeeper is not a new thing. You know, the more the more cultured goalkeeper plays with his hands and feet a lot more flexibly when it comes to being part of, you know, play, when it comes to being part of distribution. One of the things that came with that was, at least back in the day, classically, the more cultured goalkeepers wouldn't be guys that like to, you know, keep hold of the ball. So they would parry the ball and it would be one of those things where in Africa we've seen a lot of goalkeepers where they parry the ball and we have position where you parry upwards, you know, or you parry to the side. You know, so you pick your side. If I'm if I'm near post, I parry to my right. If I'm far far post, I'm gonna parry to my left, right? If I'm center post, I'm parrying upwards, and the ball is not supposed to come back in here. Or I parry it into a position where I can catch it and dive onto it, which was some goalkeepers started doing, right? Leno doesn't have enough of that way to stop the shot, and he's got great reaction where he'll put himself in the way of stopping the shot. Yet it seems there's not enough trust in himself when it comes to his hands. And I have the ability to stop the shot. You know what I'm saying? We've seen goalkeepers where the ball may look like it almost went through you, yet you stop the ball. You know what I'm saying? And you're coughing when you <clears throat> come up and they're congratulating you. But it's like, you know what? Hey, man, we're not one nil down. 
And then that move there where it was a defensive lapse that led to a chance for City. And as it broke, you literally, I had that feeling of having been in that situation so many times against City. You know when City are breaking against you and you are vulnerable. And when you're vulnerable against cities like this, if you can weather the vulnerability of those moments, you start to take away their threat because they thrive off of that. The moment they saw that breakdown, you saw how many players rush forward. It was instantaneous, bro. It was like they smell blood in the water and say, go. Because they were respecting our game so much that they weren't trying to risk it too much. They were playing with that front four forward and shifting around and they were getting nice interchanges and then go. Then it was a change now. Raheem gets the chance, finish, and you're like, damn, 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 because we hold on to that ball, pick up as they've broken, counter-attack, more often than not, either, even if we don't score from the counter, they're not coming back at us for the next 10 minutes like that, and you just keep weather the storm, get more breath, get more strength, and then you go for them. Knowing second half, we could throw the kitchen sink at them. So I think the game plan was maybe caught in two minds where there was a time early on in Ateta's reign where you could see there was a concerted plan where because Emery was more, in a sense, the team would give everything first half and second half they'd be dead. Ateta had a thing where eventually keep them tight because with Emery, they'd give everything first half they'd be dead, but they'll be 2 0 down and they have to come back second half and they don't have it, so maybe lose 2 1 or maybe finish 2 2 against a team they should have beaten. Ateta came in and it seemed to be a concerted effort to say, you know what, let's keep it tight and compact and conserve our energy first half and do the, 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 the fundamentals and then we will be more adventurous in the second half and we'll go get the game, right? And I felt that was maybe him preparing them for a counter-attacking strategy or a strategy where maybe they're on the back foot and so that when they're on the front foot, they know how to go, you know, 90 minutes because we still need to see a 90-minute team. Man, them can't no play 45 minutes all the time and think we're going to be a successful team. That's not going to happen at this level, right? Not the team we're trying to be anyway. So, pardon me. I feel now we've learned in regards to how we set up the team, pardon me, and how, we, how we're going to look to to approach games like this going forward and how we can even look to approach games where we have the ascendancy and where we, we can dominate and be on the front foot and play on the front foot more consistently, right? Uh, going through the player ratings now, um, again, we spoke about the selection. It wasn't something we're big fans of, but Leno, because of that parry, it takes away from it because he made some very crucial stops where you saw that of him. It was shot stops. Some of them he wasn't saved. It was stops. We would call them saves because he saved us from conceding a goal, yet he parried away for a corner. You know what I'm saying? He parried away and defenders can clear. Into non-threatening zones, you know. So his overall rating for me would have been a 7 if we didn't concede the goal as a result of what I felt was a goalkeeping mistake. So it's a 6 for Leno. Because the distribution was, it was, the, he wasn't, it was, it was calm under pressure. Yes, unfortunately, when you're being cons considered next to a goalkeeper that is so great and how he distributes the ball, it, it was tough for, for Leno to look, to look as great as he potentially is, you know. So that's, that's that for that one. Uh, six for Leno. Hector Bellerin, I felt, put in a shift. It was good to see him get up and about it. And he was under pressure for a large duration of the game. He was under pressure for large parts of the game. And it was one of those things where you felt as if they were targeting him, especially by putting full forward in there and moving Raheem inside where it was forcing him to come inside. And I think they were saying, OK, your, your wing is not going to track back. So we will, we will look to capitalize off of that. Um, 
David Luiz, I felt, also had a... I mean, so Hector's a six for me as well because of that. It, was, it wasn't it was a terrible game, Hector. I just felt like going forward, we could have got a little bit more from Hector Bellerin. Yet it's one of those things where, again, you can't chide him for that. He's coming back from injury, having to play in a system where sometimes he has defensive cover, cover sometimes he's the defensive cover, sometimes he's the offensive firepower backup. Like There's just so much that he's having to readjust to while readjusting to his body in the, in the current incarnation, you know? So it's... It's tough, and I pray that he gets it right eventually. And it'll be nice to see somebody like Suarez or Hector, or I mean, Ainsley Menton Lai spot him for the Europa League game so that Hector can just catch his breath and, you know, continue developing, continue regaining his fitness and continue regaining his confidence. That's going to be important for Hector Bellerin. David Luiz was, for me, a standard six because I felt his presence wasn't harming the team, yet it wasn't helping the team either. So that mistake of breaking in the line... It harms the team because you can see the goal. Yes, we could have dealt with it, so I don't want to put that whole mistake on him, you know, in the same breath. It doesn't help the team when you need more dynamic passing. You need somebody to break out of that back line and out of the, the three quote-unquote center backs and him, Tierney, and Gabriel. He's the one who can carry the ball forward a bit more or just stand on the halfway line sometimes and call the ball and recycle it forward just to attract a few a few eyeballs in, in, in terms of defenders and that unlocks somebody else because they can make a quick run and can be picked up by somebody else, right? So there's a standard six for Louise. Gabriel, for me, in the heart of defense, I think he marshaled that and he continues to show that he is the, the defender we were looking for. He's the defender that we, we, we thought we had, you know, when we, when we got him. He's commanding, confident and composed, you know, a leader. You know, we were watching the broadcast and we were seeing Tony Adams in, in, the, in, the, in the TV suit. And it was one of those where I was watching Tony and I'm like, oh man, there's Mr. Arsenal, there's commanding, there's confident, there's composed, there's a leader. And to see Gabriel come in and wear that number six the way Tony Adams did and carry it in that same, in that same reverence is, is amazing to see and it's amazing to witness. And I pray he continues in his development and becomes a player. I mean, still only so young. What, 22, 23 years old? Still such a baby for this game and so fucking mature. I love to see that. I love to see that because as he grows as a man and grows in that dressing room, he'll be able to command a lot more of that determination that we were looking to see, right? And so Gabriel is a seven for me. Um, it will be nice to see some set pieces that are designed around him. Like after the first game where he got a goal, we haven't seen set pieces. I mean, there's talk of a set piece coach having come in. I need to see some set pieces designed to capitalize off of his aerial dominance where if he's not the, the intended target, then he is maybe the decoy or the first man that allows for the, for the knock-on and for the deflection, whatever he is target that and make use of it because there's a lot to work with there. He's got aerial prowess, you know, as they were saying for Harry Maguire, because they had to throw all the compliments at Harry Maguire, but fuck man damn there. We'll probably get a review show or something like that maybe on Monday about all the other games in the in the in the league this past season after they've all they've all fixtures are played today, Sunday. So there'll be some games to come. We might give them a couple a couple takes, you know. <laughs> but other than that, yeah, Gabriella seven. Kieran Tierney I felt for me he looked gassed. He looked like a man who had had a tough week and a half and was thrown into the lion's den and had to run around from the lions until they tired. <laughs> and the lions, you know, nibbled him one time, but it's cool, we survived and we'll continue to go another day. I feel, again, one of probably our best players going forward because of his, his consistency while being versatile. 
Like, that consistency in relation to versatility is unmatched, bro. That I know I'm going to get a standard seven regardless of where I play Kieran Tierney. I felt like I could play him as like a number nine when I don't have a number nine and Tierney will give me a standard seven. You know what I'm saying? He's that type of player and I love having players like that because that leads me to the guy who was playing next to him in soccer where Bukayo Saka, man, is Bukayo blood clad soccer, man, I say the man full name proper. That's a talent in the whole, bro, and we need to start truly shifting our viewpoint in the sense of Mikel says he wants to develop the, play, the player with less pressure and more holistically, yet I feel all the other stuff that has been loaded against some of the younger talent, right? So for Gwenduzi, amazing young talent, we've been told his mentality is not there. Saka doesn't have the mentality, right? Martinelli's a great talent, we've been told his match experience is not there yet and injuries a little bit are affecting him right Saka's got the match experience and he's attaining match experience because he's what available so he can get more match experience guys like Willock we've heard okay there's a backlog in position for them so that we can't prioritize them as players but it's there guys like Reese, same thing it's there Saka checks all these these boxes Guys that can get to your way, it's there. It's just that the output needs to be there in terms of goals now. We're pressing-wise, mentality-wise, how you approach the game, how you are in the dressing room, all that is there. So I can match, it ticks all those boxes where I feel like now it's down to Mikhail to say, okay, I need to identify positions or a position for you and build around the, build the team around you in these positions. And even if it means there's games where you start 45 minutes or games like City where he doesn't start but there's a plan or a system in place that's the second half we're playing this structure and Saka's playing as a 10. Or we start in the game and Saka's playing as a, the, the, the auxiliary secondary, the, the auxiliary third midfielder in, in midfield, right? And we're playing uh, a party or Xhaka Central with Ceballos and Saka and let's bomb forward. Then we'll see so much more of the kid because even at left wing back, he gave us an eight performance where he was our man of the match next to Ceballos, right? And that's tough for me because those are two players who start the game in defensive positions and they give us the best creative potential in our gameplay, which means we have to find ways of getting better players in those positions or move these players further forward. Right now, we can't go get better players at 10 or at, 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 at right wing forward. And I think Pepe can become a better player. We'll get to that. Then we have to play these kids further forward. I need to see Ceballos as an 8. Maybe not too much as a 6-8, but as an 8-10. I need to see Saka as a 7-10 or 7-10-11. You know, doing more, being able to roam into the 9 there. Because the kid has that potential, the kid has the capacity. Xhaka we've covered in the sense that we know the ceiling on the man. And he's a great squad player to have, especially when you can rotate him in games that you need somebody to be accountable. Like, guys, yes, it's Norwich away in the Carabao Cup, but we need to win the game so we can get to the next round. Don't you guys want to play at Wembley? That type of player is needed. I don't think he's a starting level player for where Arsenal have to go anymore. We need to start having a world where... Xhaka, El Neni are same WhatsApp group as squad players so that when we sell El Neni, then Xhaka is now the new El Neni. Where I know I can play you in a cup final because I don't have players available, but you can give me a shift. Because as a starter, there's a ceiling there. And yeah, it, it showed so much in this game that a standard six for him is, for me, I'm being, I'm being nah, you know what I'm saying? Because it was like a David Luiz thing. You don't help the team by being there and you're not hurting them, but 
it's kind of hurting us not having somebody better than you in that position. You know what I'm saying? And it's it's tough to take. And it's no when we end the transition, we're gonna need players like that to transition through and with because we cannot envision certain players playing in those positions or in those roles. Now we now we couldn't we played with Jacques. We dealt with this for three four seasons now, right? Now we have a party who can come in there. So that two seasons from now, we're just talking about, remember when we had Xhaka, bro? Now look at our midfield. It's world-class, full of, you know what I'm saying, decorated internationals that are now about to go win the league and are in the final of the Champions League, Lord willing. You know, so it's, it's one of those things. We need to continue to build our squad according to those principles. Um, Danny Ceballos, for me, was a standout performer because there were moments in that game, especially in the first half, where it was calling for somebody who had watched the Santi Cazola masterclass from the last time we beat, City, we beat City and said, this is the blueprint for how Arsenal beat City, where you can take pressure and start to hit them on the break so that by the time you've reached the 50th minute, 60th minute, you're actually controlling the game now because they're having to come to you. And as they come to you, you break them down and then you're confident enough to play the ball and invite them onto you. Then you break and then you smack them again. You know, So it was one of those where... In the second half, Ceballos looked like he might have watched a YouTube tutorial on how to be Santiago Zola against City because there was a lot of that. That's when that move we're talking about where two, three times he is changing the, the direction of the play by commanding the ball and moving moving the chains, moving the chains, and then getting the ball and or trying to get the ball, yet the ball gets there. And it starts to give a different outlook overall on the team, right? It was extremely enjoyable, that, that performance. And I like to see him start more games consistently, especially in a more stable team. Like, I can't wait to see him play next to Thomas Partey, especially with another creative midfielder in that same central zone with them, where Saka maybe can start. We saw William as a 10, force 9. I'm not sure anymore, but we'll get to that now. <laughs> so I like what Ceballos did, and it was a solid 8 for me personally. Um, Pepe on the on the right wing. It was it was one of those games where I won't even lie. As it wore on, I started to be like, I wish we played City every single week so that I could see this version of Pepe every single week where he looked like he was trying even when nothing was working for him. They would kick Mandem about. The ref wouldn't give a foul. He'd get up and run. You know, he'd fuck around and give up the ball. He'd get up and track back. And I like seeing that version of Nicola Pepe because... I want to see that more consistent. The time when he looked like he could be hurt, they start warming up Lacazette. Monday wants to get back in. He gets a shot from Arteta, like, yo, press that side on the left side of the field. And he goes in. He's playing out of position, quote-unquote, because he's a more right-wing forward. Oh, man, is pressing in that position and doing well. And I said, yes, that's the paper we want to see. So, Nicola Rasklas Pepe, that's the paper we want to see. It's a standard seven, unfortunately, for me, because you didn't give me enough X-Factor where I felt... We had one or two of the free kicks we won. Maybe not in your zone, but you should have been able to be like to mind them there. I need a chance. And you should have at least, like, you should come into every single game in that right inside channel knowing I'm going to pick up the ball and drive at anybody. And whoever touches me, I'm getting this free kick. I'm standing up and taking it. Because you have the ability in that area to do so much. Even if it means you have to go get it yourself. Because eventually the team will go get you those looks. Because they know you can convert. You know, because it's like the, the equivalent of Abu Mayang when he's on the left inside channel cuts onto his right foot. It's, it's like a goal eight out of ten times. And you're not getting those chances because the team is not creating those chances, but you're also not creating those chances for yourself, Nicola. So now Salton Pepe needs to like season up the thing, and I can see now he's getting more seasoned as it relates to what's expected from him in this team, in this league, in this time. 
because he's a potential game changer for us. When our team is fully evolved and we're at that level where we deserve to be, he's going to be one of our X-Factor players where teams are going to have to game plan around him. And now because teams have game planned around a less effective him, he's going to have to develop new things about his game. Where it's like, it's literally leaving France for Nicola Pepe was like leaving primary school thinking you're the shit. Then you get to high school and you're like, oh shit, I'm not the shit. And then at, by the end of the season, the like end of last season, he thought he was the shit again because he's finishing high school. And you're like, oh, but there's varsity still to come. Well, I got to enter the marketplace, right? That's one of those for him this season where now he's finding his feet and like, okay, cool, the team can win with me, the team can win without me, the team can win as a result of me. Now the team needs to be able to rely on me to be able to deliver the win at all times, whether I'm part of the goal or I'm just there physically on the field and I'm offering a threat that is consistent and reliable, right? So Alba for me on the left is something that I don't think we're going to be or we should be seeing by February next year. Because now we have to make decisions on what we're doing in regards to our attacking line. Because we have potential players. We know Nicola Pepe is ideally on the right side. Or maybe if Miguel unlocks him, he's as a 10. Oba is wasted on the, on the left. If all we're waiting for him is to get that one chance on his, on, on, on his right foot that he cuts in and puts it far post. Now I need him getting this one chance where he freaking got down the middle. I'm like, if you are playing nine, even for just two games in a row... You are scoring that chance. But because it's coming on your right side and you, you now have a, a different area of goal, now you can aim to the left side of the goal. You don't realize you can, so you're still aiming right. And you're like, listen, pick your spot for a post, bro, and you're done with the Monday or round the Monday. Like, you got the pace to do all of that. So I think he needs a bit, a bit of time spent doing that. It would be nice to maybe even get a, a, a striker coach to come in and work with him, Lacazette and Nketi and even Balugan, because he's a good finisher. But on those type of things where the old school strikers, we used to see that where you're confident in your ability and your footwork to beat the goalkeeper as he's rushing onto you. So if you know you don't always have the shot, you can have the threat of doing that. Because the moment you have the threat of doing that, most goalkeepers, they won't come at you with their hands up because it limits their ability to run at you, right? So what they will do is they'll probably put their hands to the side. Now you can chip them. Because when he puts his hands to the side, he's thinking he can dive down as you try to round him so you have a lot more to do and get around him. Now your best bet is to fall over him and, and look for a penalty. Now I just chip it over you. Or I lift it over you and I collect it on the other side and finish, right? So it's like, I'd like to see our strikers be more creative in how they look to finish. Granted, you don't get too many chances to finish. You can't get too creative. It's like, oh, let's just get in the back of the net. And right now we're at one of those stages where like, we just need to get in the back of the net. Then we can look at about how we did it and, you know, <laughs> the, 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 the style marks for that, right? So that's a six for Uber for me, and I feel I need to see him more down the middle, especially games when Laka doesn't start. If Laka doesn't start, it has to be Alba for me because Nketi is not too ready to start for me. I'm one of those right now where I love Aiden Nketi, yet I feel Baluga scoring goals for fun at under-23 level. If he's going to be doing that, then I'd rather see him starting in some games or getting coming off the bench in some games because I need somebody who is in the run of scoring goals and confident in themselves right now because we don't have enough of that in the team. And I'm going to need to see that. Maybe even a change of Eddie going down and coming back up because he's scoring goals at under-23 level for England and for first year for Arsenal. He's not getting those looks. I even thought maybe loaning Eddie out for the season, even to a championship team, promoting Balugan, going with Aubameyang uh, down the middle and having Lacazette as your second striker off the bench when you maybe move Laka down the left, Uber down the left, or you 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 rest him for a game. Then Baluga and also available to complement that, 
alternating with under 23 games that allows you to keep all your assets happy because at the very least Balogun will resign and stay with the club long term because he's seeing more first team looks Eden Kittier will develop away from the club on loan and score some goals um, Aubameyang will play down the middle and get a run of form Lacazette won't drop in value because you're alternating him with his homie and sometimes even playing him together so that when you sell them it's a more seamless break and transition because I feel I don't want to upset Aubameyang by selling his chomi but it's like unless I can revert you uh, Alex Ferguson style like he did to Alan Smith and turn you into a deep six bro there's only so much I can do for you you know so we're going to need to see something like that from Mikael where yeah Laka may not be our starting striker if you're going to keep him in the club change position or change change outlook or change role bro and allow him to embrace that otherwise it's going to be tough because it brings us to William and William starting the game as a false nine you could understand how it was supposed to help the press and it's one of those things where our press is good when our guys are up for it because Mikel has them initiated an oppress-ordained system or oppress-inclined system. I can't stomach starting a player just because he helps the press now. I can stomach a player being benched because he doesn't help press or being frozen out the team because he doesn't want to press like Uzo, fine. Yet a player starting because all he offers me is pressing in that position. It's not going to work for me. There was no goal threat from William in that position. And when we would get the ball down the middle, there will be no one to receive it because William is doing so much work running around. And he is older. He's 33. If that was supposed to be for the first half of the game and you're going to bring on a striker or you're going to change and put Laka down the, I mean, over down the middle, that would make sense. So I feel that's where Mikel got it wrong for me, where William gets a standard six. And Arteta gets a six because of that Willian switch more than anything else. All the other stuff we spoke of, Xhaka, I can deal with Partey not starting. I can deal with Saka starting at fullback instead of further forward. I can deal with Turney starting as a centre-back instead of a wing-back or a left fullback. I can deal with all of that, bro. No cap. I can even deal with Alba not starting as a striker. But starting Willian there and keeping him on the field and it wasn't helping the team and any change you would have made in that position would have actually given us more of a threat. That I can't hold. And that's when I realized the final lesson for Mikael from Mr. Miyagi was the wax on, wax off. When to make changes. He still does not know when to make changes outside of the structure within the team. Because I think he doesn't want to disrupt the structure that he gave the team when they started the game. And if, as talented as he's, like, we complimented him in the pregame when we said, you know, he's like, a, he's like an NFL coach. Or, or coordinator, right, in the sense that he has a, a playbook that has so many different plays for so many situations within the game. Game plays for game situations within the game, right? Now you need to be able to have plays that extend those plays as a result of bringing on other players. And say, now we're going ad hoc, right? Because one of the things when we were studying Guardiola's philosophy early, especially when he was at Barca and Thierry Henry got there because he was more translating and more and more open about the conversation, especially even after he left the club, it was like, no, there's a, there's a set structure that you have to be in as the ball progresses up the field. Once the ball reaches the final attacking third, especially as an attacking player, you have creative license once you've done your job. So once you stayed hypothetically for Thierry, once you stayed wide left and the ball is past the halfway line and you receive it on the half turn or cutting in, you have the creative license to override the plays. So the plays could be cut in on the right and then look for the left wing back or cut in on the right to switch the ball to the to the right to the right winger who's cutting in on his left foot or drop it down to the central midfielder or feed it into the center forward 
you have creative license where if you beat one player, beat two player, and you're confident enough in your shots and you're confident enough in your ability, you take something from range there. And even if you don't score, you'll be complimented in the system. Like, yes, that's what we want. Because next time when we have those four options still, the team is scared of the fifth option that you've you've given them or you've shown them that now they, they, they're opening up those other four options even more. Now we can actually get something that we can rely on to get a goal. Because that one, it's a, it's a one in ten chance that you'll score. These other ones, it's a five in... 10 chance that we'll score, 6 or 7 and 10 chance that we'll score. And we need more of those. So, yeah, our takers get themselves a solid 6 because of that. Um, Laka wasn't on and long enough for me to get a rating. I think none of the subs for me were all long enough to get a rating. If I had to give a rating, it would be a standard 6. Um, yeah, now we can look forward to the Rapid VN game in the Europa League on Thursday. Uh, we'll do a pre-game for that uh, coming out, say, maybe Tuesday night. Yeah, say Tuesday night. Um, looking forward to the game. It was it was nice. It was nice to have gone through this and learned these lessons. It'll be nice to see some players rested as a result of this. Some players are gas. Some players need to recharge after an international break in the, in the middle of a COVID epidemic. It's, it's, it's a bit much, right? So I pray, I pray the guys recover. I pray the guys that come into the squad are rejuvenated and actually feel inclined to put in a performance and make the managers have to think twice for for the next league game right so we'll get into all of that on the next show uh thank you for joining us as always this is when highbury was home a loud booth podcast presentation follow us on all social media platforms and dsps if you're so inclined please like comment subscribe share um yeah man thank you for joining us it was a tough one to take you know but yeah, that's how it goes when you're learning from Mr. Miyagi, right? The lessons are tough, but the, the rewards are great. So we'll continue building to, to making this team a great team again. And yeah, it was, it, was, it, was, it was a learning curve, if we put it that way. Thank you for joining us yet again as we march forth. Yeah, man, we move. <laughs>